0: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
1: Hello, everybody. I am Lucia Matuonto, and welcome to the Relatable Voice podcast, a talk show where my guests and I talk about relatable everyday situations, books, and the environment we live in. Remember to subscribe and follow the podcast on social media so you can be notified when a new episode is available. Let's begin. On this episode, we have the pleasure to taking a trip to Central Florida to chat with Rachel Halk. Rachel is a highly accomplished author with a journalism degree under her belt rachel mm-hmm. has made her mark in the literary world as a Christie award winner and a double rita finalist we are thrilled to dive into her latest book the best summer of our lives set to release in june so my dear rachel welcome to the rv
2: thanks for having me i love being in the rv with you that's <laughs> super fun
1: <laughs> and i love going to florida but you know rachel i had us all set for ohio but uh-huh. my navigation skills <laughs> took a nose
2: dive and we took a southern turn <laughs> other turn and we've
1: headed to sunny florida so what made you move from Ohio to the Sunshine State?
2: My father. <laughs> okay. So he, uh, my father uh, graduated from Ohio State as well, go Bucks. And then uh, he went to Oklahoma. We, we moved to Tulsa when I was probably, I was in the probably kindergarten age for, um, he wanted to go to seminary. Mm-hmm. And then we left. Oklahoma. We moved to Kentucky where he continued his education. And there were a lot of things changing in, in the church world and the early seventies. And so he was, he met some people and was impacted by the ministries that they were doing. So we moved to South Florida to Homestead, which you may be familiar with having been a former Floridian or a part-time Floridian now. And to me, I was 14, almost 14. I thought we moved to the end of the world, but it was great. It was a great experience. And um, we just had a great time learning and growing. And then we moved to Tallahassee and then we moved to, uh, I went to Ohio State from Tallahassee. When I graduated, God sent me to Melbourne, Florida. And so here I am.
1: <laughs> wow. You've been living all over the place. Let's yeah. Yeah. It's a fantastic experience.
2: Absolutely. Ab- yeah, absolutely.
1: And how do you make the most out of your spare time
2: in this tropical paradise? Oh, that's such a great question. I, I think I somebody asked me that once and I'm like, I don't really have spare time. And by that, I mean... I pretty much use all of my time. So probably my spare time, I go to the gym with my husband. We do breakfast sometimes together, although we might back that off because too many pancakes. And we, I, I read and I, I'm a television girl. So I know most authors aren't, but I am. I love to read. I love stories, So I'm always looking for stories. And I don't know, walk around the neighborhood. I lead worship at my church. So there's some ministry things involved here and there. Yeah, so, and I work, and I still work, you know, I'm writing during the day, so I think my time is consumed really well. Sometimes I'm thinking, how would I do it if I had a nine to five? I don't know how I would do it. (laughs) How would I get everything done?
1: And Rachel, with your background in journalism and the numerous book you've published, I'm curious to know what inspired you to transition into a
2: full-time writing career. It was always my dream to be a writer. So I was in the corporate world for about 15, 16 years, and I finally got a book contract. So when I got the second book contract, I went to part-time and I also had a lot of stuff going on with my husband was a youth pastor at the time. We had a lot of stuff going on with the youth ministry. I was starting to lead worship at my church and I just had a really full plate. And the first time since college, I was doing that you know, six in the morning until 10 at night. And it was just, it was starting to get to me. I was actually feeling the stress in my body in a way I'd never felt before. And so we prayed and we said, we feel like it's time to quit the job and go full-time into writing. And I had one $2,500 contract. (laughs) So I cut our household income in two thirds, or my husband and I together cut a household income into two thirds. And uh, I jumped in both feet into writing full-time. Stayed with it. Got one contract after another. Bless God. You know, that's how it happened. That's that's amazing. And
1: just out of curiosity, how many books have you published? Before? Yeah,
2: I've, I think I'm in the mid-30s, approaching the mid-30s. But, oh, man, let me tell you, Lucia, I am way behind some of my buddies. I have friends who've written all, near 100 books. So... I I, you know, I'm proud of my, you know, 32, 33 books. I always lose track, but I have friends who've written way, way up there um, approaching a hundred, but you know, everybody writes differently and how they write and how they produce and the stories they tell are different than the ones I ended up writing and producing and telling. And so I'm cool with that. I takes me about, I'm on a year deadline now takes me about that long to produce a book um, when I first started, I was writing a book every six months. But as I kind of grew in the craft and grew in the kind of stories that I wanted to tell and how stories started coming to me and and the things that I liked and the things that I wanted to do, it just started taking longer. Their big books are usually a hundred thousand words plus. and you know, and then also getting older, <laughs> I just didn't want to be under that stress. It's a lot of stress to write on a deadline. I'm grateful to do it. but, So I that's why I kind of slowed down a little bit because I want to stay in it for the long haul. I want to be talking to you when I'm 70.
1: (laughs) Yes, you're welcome. It's a great victory when you become a full time writer. I know it's not easy. Oh, it's not. No. So were there any challenges or doubts along the way?
2: Oh yeah, for sure. Always, you know, m- uh, missed expectations, unmet expectations, disappointments. You know, you're partnering with a publisher who has their own vision of you and your stories. And uh, my first books, my editor loved, but you know, they didn't get a lot of readership. So that was kind of disappointing in the early days. Uh, but I have been blessed that my career has grown. My um, book, The Wedding Dress, hit the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal and the USA Today 4 years after it was released and so that was a huge boost to my confidence you know and hearing from readers and hearing the things that they say one time i got a letter from a girl in brazil who had read the wedding dress and she just was so excited she said i she didn't know books like this existed and she goes tonight i'm going to pray for you and it just happened to be when i was going through a really hard time um physically i was going through a physical issue and I just wept. And I, and I heard from a woman in Poland with the same kind of message about how the book impacted her and her life and helped her deal with the loss of a child. And so when you're, when you're in those doubtful moments and you think, oh, I can't do this. I go back to that. And I go back to, you've always done it. You hit that spot where you go, I don't know what this book's about. And then you press on, you pray on, you pray through and you get the story. It happens every time. So um, I'm hoping that I'm over that hump, (laughs) that I'll just stay in confidence mode.
1: (laughs) So your new book is coming out now in June. So can you share a little bit about the
2: best summer of our lives? It started out called The Summer of 77. And as I was developing the story, I started thinking this is supposed to be the best summer of their lives. And I'm like, oh, that's a better title because it really has a broader appeal You know, someone might think, well, I was not alive in 1977, but the story has a lot of nostalgia to it. And it's a story of friendship. So I think it's, it'll reach any reader, no matter how old Um, it's about four best friends that they met in kindergarten. And they managed to stay friends all through junior high and high school, those turbulent junior high and high school years. They call themselves the four seasons because their names are summer, spring, autumn, and snow. And that's actually how they got bonded together as their kindergarten teacher said, Well, I have the four seasons in my classroom and they just became like sisters and helped each other through difficult times. Snow had a difficult time as a teenager. They walked her through that. And so here they are. They're going to have the best summer of their lives between high school and college. And I think everybody thinks that summer between high school and college is, you know, that's your last hurrah before you have to kind of enter into a pre-adult world in college and be responsible for yourself. And they get into some trouble and they actually have to go to court. And Summer's mom is going to reboot a girl's camp out in Tumbleweed, Oklahoma. So they're going to go from Tallahassee, Florida to Tumbleweed, Oklahoma. And she asks the judge, instead of doing community service here, can I take them with me as my camp counselors? Because I don't have any. And he goes, done. You got it. So they find themselves on a Greyhound bus to Tumbleweed, Oklahoma. And this is really not going to be the best summer of their lives. So they think. But they all have secrets. They're all going out with secret things they haven't told each other. One of them has a really big secret that she hasn't even confronted in herself yet. So, this is what the summer's about really a summer of discovery, a summer that really tries their friendship. And then we also get to look at the four seasons 20 years later in the summer of 1997 and seeing where their friendship is at and seeing what it takes to go back to that pre summer, that summer before. Can they ever restore, redeem, and heal some of the wounds that they caused each other and you know, face the rest of their lives together? So it really turned out to be a really poignant story, I felt like, full of nostalgia, full of faith. So I hope that the readers enjoy it. it it's a journey.
1: <laughs> the 70s were just incredible, the fashion, the music. The oh, yeah. Nostalgia.
2: The Farrah faucet hair, the whole thing. So we touch on the of faucet here. There also was, my original thought too, Lucia, was I was going to, well, I moved to Tallahassee in the summer of 77. And um, I just, for, you know how our memories can sometimes confuse us. And I thought the Ted Bundy murders at Florida State happened that summer, but they actually happened that winter. And I was planning on using that story to create, to create a fear factor. So I wasn't going to actually deal with Ted Bundy so much as, how the town reacted, how everyone reacted, how we all reacted to COVID is most recent in our minds. And then the more, it was the wrong timeline and then Ted Bundy is really creepy. So I didn't, I couldn't stand to research him anymore. So, but we discovered that there was sadly a Girl Scout murder at the Girl Scout camp, Camp Scott in Locust Grove, Oklahoma. There was a, a man killed three little girls on the first night of camp. It was devastating and it did, it sent fear all through the state of Oklahoma one girl's camp went to camp with an armed guard. So I, I use that. So we touch on that a little bit. We remember those girls that were murdered, three little girls. And it's a cold case to this day. They don't really know who did it. The guy they liked for it got acquitted. And so it's a little tribute to that. But how does the, how do those external factors cause pressure in us to deal with life around us, to deal with our own issues? And so there's a little bit of that as part of the story. So um, it was fun to weave in that and remember those three little girls that didn't get a chance to explore their life.
0: It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper?
1: Did your personal experiences and diaries from the 70s influence the the development of the story and the characters?
2: Well, having been a teenager in the 70s, so I actually pulled out my diaries. I got a stack of stuff on them. I them to, I actually pulled out my diaries just so I could hear how I sounded and what words did we use? Because we use words today that we did not use in the 70s. For example, the word like, Oh, it was like, so cool. Like, wow, that that's a whole Valley girl thing that came with the Valley girl song and the Valley girl movie. And some of that, some of the way we do inflections on our words, which, you know, is harder to do in a novel, but I couldn't use the word like in that sense. Like, what are you doing? I couldn't do that because that's, we didn't say that in the seventies. So what did we say for, um, things that were cool? I think we still said Cool. We may have said awesome. So I did a lot of research in that and trying to remember what I said, you know, what cool things that we said. Um, We called the cops fuzz, F-U-Z-Z. So just kind of had fun with that and hairstyles and television shows and movies. I was a big fan of the soap opera All My Children. So I wove that into the story a little bit.
1: And Rachel, were there any specific memories or themes from that era that you wanted to explore through the narrative for example you talk about relationships
2: sure yeah we i explored um some family dynamics um a relationship with a sister and a brother i explored uh, the friendship dynamic just i i've always had really good friends I have friends that I've known for years, but that kind of tight-knit friendship I never really had as as we all moved on or got married or moved to different locations. Uh, While we stayed in touch, the the tightness and the closeness didn't stick, but um, I still love all those women and and guys desperately. And so I wanted to explore that. Um, Also, culturally, I brought in every chapter has a song title. So that was fun looking back at, different songs that impacted us and how we felt about this song. So it was pulling some of that together. I won in particular, I think one of the seasons, I can't remember which one, I think Autumn perhaps had a crush on Donny Osmond. Of course I had a crush on Donny Osmond. So, you know, I had a Donny Osmond poster on my wall. And so Autumn had a Donny Osmond poster on her wall. So things like that, that I tried to pull in, but really just tried to pull in who we were in the seventies as best that I could remember. And, bring in the cultural aspects and and maybe how the girls thought about life. Um, You know, things were very different than they are now. It's been over 40 years. So um, that was the the biggest part for me is trying to make sure that it felt really 1977 and how the girls would have thought and how they would have viewed life.
1: Mm -hmm. Thank you. And what message or takeaways do you hope your readers will gain? from reading this book?
2: I hope that they will value friendship. And I really hope if anybody has a broken relationship, they might feel stirred to reach out. You may not ever be besties again, but offer some love and forgiveness. Of course, the book is a story. It's entertainment. um, It's not missional or an agenda. It's just, it's not meant to be a message to someone, but when we read good stories, we hope that somehow in our lives, we feel hope. So I hope that people would feel hope from reading the book. So there was one particular character. She goes into a desert season in her life. It lasts like 20 years. And, uh, she, meets kind of the supernatural character. Who's kind of always when I have a spiritual character, um, it's always a supernatural event. Um, and so, He tells her that I was always with you, even in your desert season. And, of course, this is Jesus. And I think that she didn't feel like anybody was with her. And all of us have that experience. When we're in our desert season, we wonder, God, where are you? And so I hope that people take hope from that. God is with you in your desert season, on your journey. So don't lose hope.
1: Yes. This is very inspiring. That's good.
2: That's the hope. It'll be inspiring.
1: Yeah, you're very
2: inspiring. And
1: Rachel, what advice would you give to aspiring writers who may be facing obstacles or rejections in their own writing journeys?
2: Well, let me say this about rejection. Um, rejection is good. So embrace rejection because... It's probably that you're not ready and they want to be able to work with someone who one is ready to do the edits. I've talked to writers that go, I don't know how to do a rewrite and you should know how to do a rewrite. And and if you're still learning how to just write and craft a story, it could be difficult to pull it apart, keep all the good stuff, fix the stuff or delete the stuff that's not necessary and keep going with the story that's in your heart. So rejection is good. Rejection causes you to dig deep, get better, go to conferences, go to workshops. So if you're getting rejected or you're not getting the reviews or the readers that you want, if you're writing independently and you're self-publishing, then go to workshops, you know, read the books, go to conferences, learn, talk to someone, maybe hire someone. I've done, I've done coaching and you don't have to hire me, but there's lots of coaches out there who really know what they're doing. Um, I recommend novel.academy.com, novel.academy.com. You can go there, the books, the story equation. I use that as my template for every single book that I write. So learn.
0: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
2: Just keep going on. And that's where you find out, do you really want to do this? Because if you're, if you think I'm going to write a book, get it out there and make money, you're, you're not going to do that. I wish this is a long haul game. And I've been doing writing full time for almost 19 years and I have good seasons and I have lean seasons but I stay with it. I still produce a book. You have to produce a book. And if you're writing independently, you have to produce a lot of books. So I would just say, stay with it. If this is what you want to do, make it your passion and make sure it's what God's called you to do. I really had to do that because I always wanted to do it. And I was starting to jump in and got a rejection letter. And I realized if I'm going to do this, I better know because it was consuming my thoughts. And so I better know this is what God's called me to do because I don't want to have to stand before him and count for all this wasted time. I got enough of that on the books. So um, yeah, the, within six months of saying, God, is this what you need to do? Someone c- called me up and said, hey, let's write something together. I'll help you get started. And that became my first published book with an author named Lynn Coleman. So um, yeah, that's what I would say. Stick with it, learn, talk to people, network, um, and don't give up. Love
1: it. I think rejection is just a way to improve and not stopping, because I think taking a no as an answer, is just a matter of you accept it or not.
2: Yeah. And it gives you, it makes you believe in yourself because when I got the no's, but I also knew from college and from people who had read my stuff, they would say to me, wow, you're gifted. You have something. And so when I'm getting no's, what did I, what was I missing? Because I knew I had a voice and I knew I was a good writer. Okay. What I was missing was I didn't know how to tell a story. I really didn't know how to put a book together. I didn't know how to do that. And that's what I had to learn the the nuances of telling a story and, and the point of view characters and all the craft elements that maybe you're reading a book from a hundred years ago, or you're reading Jane Austen, or you might be reading something from the 1940s. That's not how we write today. That's not how we publish today. You know, we don't head hop, you know, sometimes you're in multiple characters' heads at once. We don't do that today. We're single point of view and deep point of view. There's all these elements that modern fiction looks like, and that's what your editors are looking for. So unless you have just this really amazing kind of voice to talk that, to write a story, old school, then you're going to have to adjust to how we write today. And so I think the rejection causes you to start asking the right questions and causes you to realize where your weaknesses are um, and sometimes it's it's just a matter of time. The other thing you do is you can't compare yourself to others because there are authors when I started and I'm getting rejected, or I am getting published, but I'm not getting any great, whoa, look at her, she's so good. You know, I wasn't getting any of that. I was like, Well, I got a book published, but I, I didn't win any contests. I didn't win any contests. It was like years before I won any contest or any kind of award let alone hit a bestseller list. And so, but now look, I'm hit the New York times, which is very, very rare, very hard to do, especially rare in the the inspirational market. And some of the people that came out with me that were like, Ooh, they were taking off. Everybody wanted them. They were walking on clouds. They were winning the awards. They had all the readers. People would clamor to talk to them. They're not writing today. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I feel blessed in a way that I even started out kind of slow because it made me work. So if I'd started out really, you know, hot, I might not have put in the effort to become the writer I am today and writing the stories I am today. So love your journey. Embrace your journey, I guess, is really the best advice I can give someone. Embrace your journey. So
1: absolutely. And It's an honor to be speaking with you today. It's an
2: honor to speak with you.
1: I wish we could stay here for the whole day. I know,
2: but (laughs) who would listen, right?
1: An eight hour podcast. (laughs) Okay. When I have this at least two hours podcast, I'm going to be inviting you.
2: I will come back.
1: Okay. So, Rachel, can we find you? your books
2: online, please. Yes, you can go to ww.rachelhalk.com. So just go to my website. And of course, all social media I have the same name. I was so early in social media, Lucia, that I got my name and on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. I didn't have to add Rachel Halk author or Rachel Halk writer. I I nabbed my name.
1: That's <laughs> so that's where
2: I am, all over social media. So so
1: Rachel. It was a pleasure to speak with you today. But before we finish, I would like to tell our listeners that Rachel will be featured in our magazine, The Relatable Voice, this month in June, so you will be able to find more about her, her books, and of course, her website. Check out our magazine that is free of charge and see Rachel and other amazing authors. So, Rachel, I will be
2: happy to drive my RV all the way through. Oh, Florida. that sounds great. That sounds great. We'll have to meet for lunch. I would love to meet. Perfect. Sounds good.
1: If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when the next one is posted. please. Rate this podcast and share it with your friends. Thank you for listening. And remember, relationships don't exist. Relating does. Until next time.